0: listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody.
1: Steve, today's episode is going to start out as one thing and end up as another. But stick with me. I'm going to take you along on this little journey just the way I experienced it during
0: my research. All right. Well, I have no choice. I'm stuck with you. You're stuck with me.
1: (laughs) This all begins with an Ohio Mysteries listener named Haley who wanted us to look into a haunted site called Blue Limestone Park in Delaware, Ohio. And I know you love it when our
0: listeners propose stories. Yeah, I I love that. We had the Gore Orphanage last time. Yeah, yeah. That was amazing.
1: Actually, I think that's what inspired her. Uh, you know, I got to say, first of all, when we started podcasts, I was determined not to do ghosts and hauntings. I like mysteries where there are hard facts to explore and the possibility of a resolution sometime in the future. And the paranormal is so ethereal. You can't really sink your teeth into it. It's not the kind of mystery we really have hope of solving or understanding in this physical life. But I changed my mind after that orphanage story Uh, You'll recall we took an in-depth look at that famously haunted spot outside Vermilion, Ohio, and our research revealed that the urban legend of how something called the Gore Orphanage burned to the ground with 100 kids trapped inside was complete fiction, but... We found some totally legitimate real life events on the property that warranted this area getting its spooky reputation. Yeah,
0: it contained its own mystery.
1: It did. And so Haley said, Well, what about Blue Limestone Park? What can we find out about that? And so that's in Delaware. Um, that's just north of Columbus. Do you remember Delaware? What's yes, famous Ruth there? Bongong. Yes, Ruth was the subject of one of our episodes because she went to Ohio Wesleyan University. That's right. there. So Blue Limestone Park is a picturesque community park with a lake and the remains of an old quarry. They used to cut blue limestone into building blocks. And as a byproduct, they created a lot of crushed limestone in the process. I found a reference from 1908 saying the company that owned the quarry at that time was transporting 1,000 train car loads of building stone and another 600 or so train car loads of crushed limestone every year. It was mostly used by developers in Columbus, although they had customers all over the state. And, of course, several buildings in Delaware were constructed with the stone. There's a building on the northeast corner of Winter and Elizabeth Streets known as the Arts Castle. Uh, Ohio Wesleyan used it for their Hall and St. Peter's Episcopal Church. Probably lots of uh, buildings if you're driving around uh, Columbus. Right. Looking
0: Bottom. at those skyscrapers, you might be seeing yeah, you some. You might see Delaware.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, the quarrying of the rock stopped decades ago. And over the years, the area earned a haunted reputation for some reason. If you look on internet paranormal sites, you'll find all kinds of reports on it. Many of them focus on the rail line that used to cart the blue limestone away. Legend has it that some horrible, fatal train accident has trapped the souls of its victims on the site. Many stories place that incident in the 1920s. One variation has the train slipping off of the tracks as it passed over the tunnel, plummeting into the quarry, killing dozens of people. There is a brick tunnel under the railway there, and some folks say they hear disembodied voices. Even skeptics have heard sounds, though they attribute them to a trick of acoustics. Others say, no, they are the victims of the train accident, or perhaps people who have drowned in the quarry lake. A very common report is that there are strange lights at night, that they move about the fields, under the tunnel, and in the quarry, moving together and in patterns, much like people might be moving if they were together. Hmm. So what really happened here? Surely, if there was a horrific train accident, it would be easy to find. But, Steve, I couldn't find anything like that. Best I could do was several miles away in Delaware County's Trenton Township. In August of 1929, a defective railway cost five of 12 train cars to derail, injuring 69 passengers, but I couldn't even find a report of a death in that one. I also found a picture on an Ohio Historical Society website showing derailed train cars. The cut line of that picture said the incident happened in Sunbury, which is nearby. Uh, But it was unsure of the year. They guessed it to be maybe around 1910. And I couldn't find stories about that one either.
0: Yeah, Sunbury is north of Columbus and Delaware is Northwest like Right, Columbus. right, okay. yeah. So
1: they're, they're close, but it's not the same place. So that's not to say there weren't any fatal train mishaps in or around Delaware. Train accidents were so common a century ago. I remember the Akron Beacon Journal even had a weekly column listing train accidents and victims. Mostly they were cars struck on unmarked crossings or pedestrians trying to outrun an engine. You know, it amazes me how many times people have a train actually sneak up on them. I mean, I've, I've read lots of stories of people who were hit by trains, didn't even know they were coming.
0: Yeah, one just happened last week uh, behind the Akron Beacon Journal next to the transit center. A uh, person was coming across the—actually, he was on a train going northbound, and he was going to jump off at the transit center oh. and jumped right into a southbound train.
1: Oh, so he didn't even see the southbound didn't train coming. Didn't even see it coming. Wow, that's amazing. Anyway, there just didn't seem to be any single event that could account for a ghost train and dozens of trapped spirits and just the entire reputation that this park has gotten. So how about drownings? Well, I came across a couple. Uh, In July of 1961, a 23-year-old Columbus man named David Edminster went skin diving in the quarry lake and he didn't make it safely back to the surface. Authorities said it appeared something had gone wrong with his breathing apparatus. But it's the second drowning victim I want to tell you about, and here's where we take a left turn and go from a story about a haunted locale to a very mysterious death. This tale starts in Sunbury on Wednesday, October 18, 1967, at about 7.15 in the evening. Nineteen-year-old Sarah Ann Cleland is headed out to see her boyfriend. She says goodbye to her parents, walks out the door, drives away in their car, and vanishes into the dark. Sarah was a nurse's aide at Jane M. Case Hospital. She was the daughter of Ruth and Howard Cleland, one of five siblings. And she was the fiancé of George Buckingham, a 22-year-old divorcee she had been seeing for two years and to whom she had become engaged the previous year. For 10 days, nobody knew what had happened to Sarah. And then one day, a couple of high school students spotted a body floating face up in the blue limestone quarry lake. Fred Fritz and John Almondinger attended Pleasant High School, and they were spending the day at Ohio Wesleyan University to observe a bronze casting demonstration as part of their art studies. During a break in the class, they took a walk, and they came across the disturbing sight. Their instructor, Robert Mutchelmaus, went into the water and pulled the girl to shore. Authorities quickly identified the body as Sarah, and the coroner, D.K. Mitchell, would determine the cause of death was drowning, but he didn't know how to classify her death. What had happened? Divers found her car at the bottom of the quarry. It was in 20 feet of water, maybe eight yards from shore. Had she had an accident? Had she driven into the quarry on purpose? Had somebody else driven the car into the quarry to hide it? Police Chief Dalbert Morris said he was leaning toward the suicide theory. But he was not going to close the case. There were just too many questions. One fact that bothered him, Sarah was five months pregnant. That's a fact that could have been a motive for murder. But it also, in Sarah's case, could have been a motive for suicide. Sarah's fiancé, George Buckingham, said Sarah called him the night she disappeared and they talked for 10 or 15 minutes. He told a reporter that Sarah had epilepsy and she was afraid of transferring the condition to her unborn child. She told me she would not raise a family if her children would get epilepsy he told the reporter. He didn't think Sarah had an accident. He believed she had driven into that quarry intentionally. He described her mood as upset and despondent, and he said he was worried enough that he called her parents about an hour after speaking to her and then called them again at 2.05 in the morning. That morning, Mr. Cleland reported his daughter missing to the Delaware County Sheriff's Department. But here's why suicide wasn't a slam-dunk answer. When Sarah was found, she was clad only in slacks and her bra. There were no signs of sexual assault, and just a few minor scratches on her chest believed to have been made after she died. But what had happened to the rest of her clothing? The day she was found, police located her coat in the water not far from her body. But police wanted to know where the rest was, so divers kept looking. And a few days later, they found her sweater in the bottom of the lake, 75 feet from where her car was found. And a day after that, they found her blouse. It was also at the bottom of the lake, and it was torn in several places. This is a lake. There isn't a current here. Why was her clothing so far from the car? And what force could have removed her coat, her sweater, her blouse, tearing the ladder in the process? As a matter of fact, if she was going to drown herself, why trash the family car first? Sarah's father, Howard, was convinced his daughter met with foul play. There are too many circumstances that don't make any sense if you assume suicide, he said. I don't believe she would have run the family car into the lake. Her pushing the car into the lake just doesn't make any sense. Adding to the mystery, her fiancé refused to take a lie detector test. Buckingham said he just didn't see any reason to do so. Without evidence of a crime, the story of Sarah Ann Cleland faded away. The last time the police chief addressed the subject, he said he was keeping the case open. And the last story on the topic I could find had the coroner marking the death undetermined. So, I can't tell you what circumstances warranted Blue Limestone Park earning a reputation for being on it. But I think we did turn up at least one lost soul who might be among the
0: ghosts who dwell there. That was a good story. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular, full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. And may all of your mysteries have happy endings.